You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. Good morning, church family. Happy Valentine's Day. And I hope that it is a warm, or as warm as can be, Valentine's Day for you and your family. It is cold out there and getting colder, so... Uh, staying home. I hope that you don't have to go anywhere and that this worship service, taking part in it even distantly, can add some warmth to your day, but that you have plenty of physical warmth as well. This morning we're going to look, start out looking at probably the strangest miracle Jesus ever performed. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Then they came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to Jesus and asked him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him outside of the village. Then he spit on his eyes, placed his hands on his eyes and asked, Do you see anything? Regaining his sight, he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, do not even go into the village. This begs the question, what in the world? <laughs> and we believe Jesus and we have part of this series and part of looking at the gospel of Mark is this unstoppable force of Jesus who can do anything, is God made flesh, is perfect and nothing can inhibit his plan and his will. And yet here's a miracle, a blind man, and it takes two tries. This is odd. And really something don't really fit the rest of the gospel mark and make us scratch, scratch our heads. Why would it be included? Why would this, what place, what reason for this miracle? If anything, it makes Jesus look a little bit unable Competent, and we definitely don't believe that those words belong with Jesus our Lord, the perfect Son of God who came into this world and who one day will bring us home to be with Him forever and eternity. That He is not a God that says, Oops, He's a God with purpose, a God that accomplishes what He desires when He wants to desire it and is not brought down or no challenge he faces can keep him from accomplishing his will. So what's going on here? And that's a question we naturally ask, and I think maybe even Mark anticipates us asking, what in the world? What's happening? And I would say two things to begin with. One is Jesus doesn't do things by accident. Jesus in living and teaching and performing the miracles he did amidst his disciples and followers and those beyond, even beyond his uh, followers, those that were even his enemies, that every word Jesus said, every action he performed, every miracle he did was on purpose. And that this one was on purpose too. And the second thing I would say is that what Mark records for us is not accidental. I don't see Mark as an author who uh, just didn't proofread his copy that well. 
who didn't proofread his text, uh, who forgot to uh, go back over and check it. That's not what I say in the Gospel of Mark. Mark very likely used the stories that were circulating among the Christian community, had maybe been witness to some of them himself, uh, which we're going to get to later in the Gospel of Mark, uh, who was closely connected to the Apostle Peter, as church tradition tells us. And so Mark, who very possibly was the first of the four Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark was very possibly the first. And even with that, though, he drew on the stories he received from others, primarily Peter, but others beyond that as well. And just the... The, the stories being circulated about Jesus within the Christian community that people said, yeah, I was there. Oh, really? That's amazing. And, and you had these verified stories is what they were. And of course, Mark was inspired by the Holy Spirit, we believe, to tell us exactly what we needed to hear and know about Jesus, our Lord, to reveal to us this gospel and message. And, and while his Greek writing and use of language is not as elevated as let's say Luke who was a very educated person was a doctor and used some big fancy words that Mark doesn't even try to use so maybe Mark in some ways was simpler but the way he crafts these stories about Jesus and keeps us going and following with excitement and turning page after page he's a good writer and this story is in here for a reason. I say, well, what's the reason? Well, if you ever have a question in Scripture, the best response is to keep reading. And if we keep reading beyond this miracle, this two-stage miracle, in the very next portions of Scripture, the end of chapter 8 and then the beginning of chapter 9, we see two huge things unfold. And really what we see is the disciples growing in their faith, having a realization, having their eyes opened, and then a setback, and then having their eyes opened even more so. And that's how faith works. That's how following Jesus works, is that it's not an all-at-once moment where the light switch is flipped and everything's perfectly clear. No, it's gradual. And I think that this healing, this healing of this man who, with blindness in this two stages is indicative, indicative of that. And then, when you, especially when you put it in context, look at the stories that follow with Peter particularly, his personal growth and his personal understanding, you know, just have these two huge moments that Jesus says, good job, or that, that you know, he, he's privileged to be there to witness these moments, and he's still got so far to go. But let's look at the next passage. Then Jesus and his disciples went to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They said, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. Then he warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now first look at how just the, this initial story 
has some similar moments as to this healing story. For one, they're outside the village. They're on the way to these villages of Caesarea Philippi. They're not in town. And with the healing, Jesus specifically took the man out of town. And we're given that detail. And here, we're given the detail of they're out of town. A little connection that Mark is trying to emphasize so that maybe we see the connection, I think. And then, when Peter has this realization, what does Jesus say? Don't tell anyone. Which seems counterintuitive, and there's lots of theories as to the reason why Jesus would have that idea at all to anyone who healed or anyone who came to a realization. But they see the connection. He tells the man whose healing was restored not to tell anyone. And here, after the great confession, as it's called, Whenever Peter, one of Jesus' own disciples, speaks boldly and says, I'll answer, Jesus says, what do other people say? Well, some say this, 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 and this. And they're all good things. They all rank Jesus right up there in really good company. Jesus says, what about you? Peter says, I know you're him. You're the Christ. And the other word for that is you're the Messiah. Which means you're the king. Not that the, that the king of Rome is not Caesar over, uh, that, that the king with authority that we talked about again several weeks ago, the king with authority is not Caesar over in Rome. The king with authority, definitely not Herod over in Jerusalem. The king with authority is not the pilot, the governor of Judea. And he says, you're him. You have the authority. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the king. And it's a beautiful moment. And it seems like Peter's eyes are opened. But keep reading. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and experts in the law and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke openly about this. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But after turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's interests. The very next section, after, Jesus, after Peter's amazing confession, we see that Peter says he has it. You're the king, but he doesn't really have it. Because when Jesus starts to tell them, well, now that you know that I'm the Christ, let me tell you what's going to happen to the Christ. I'll suffer. Be betrayed. I'll even die. And Peter goes, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what I meant when I said you're the Messiah. That's not what I meant when I said you're the king. Kings thrive, kings live in glory, kings build their kingdoms. And so he, he rebukes Jesus, which is insane. And Mark kind of shows us that insanity because Jesus looks at his disciples and then he turns and he rebukes Peter. Because the whole thing is Peter said, Jesus, you're the king, but then... He didn't act as though that's not reinforced by he's missing it that he's a king you don't question. 
He's a king that you allow. You allow the king to determine the future of the kingdom and the future of his own reign. That that's the king's prerogative. And as an advisor, as a helper, Peter should have been helping the king get there, but instead he gets in front of the king and says, whoa, 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 you don't want to do that. That's not what's going to happen. You know, I, I said, you're the Messiah. Have you forgotten what that means? And Jesus says, you've forgotten what that means. And just the short, you know, no verse in between, these two stories back up right to each other. It's immediate. And Jesus tells Peter, ah, you don't have your mindset on eternal things, on heavenly things, on God's kingdom. You've got narrow vision. You've got clouded vision. You only see this little snippet. Like the man who is healed, like, like people walking around like trees. And that's not clear, not at all. And Peter's not clear. He said the words and he believes them, but he can't take hold of the full embracing of what those words mean. That Jesus has a job to do that may be beyond him and beyond his understanding. And he needs to have his eyes open. Now in the next section, Jesus talks about the cost of following him. That if Jesus himself is heading toward the cross, then his followers should not be surprised when they are asked to make sacrifices, whenever they face persecution, whenever things don't go smoothly for them. He said, becoming king here is not about the easy road with the red carpet, not at all, not for me. And he says, and if you're with me, not for you either. And then we get to the end of chapter 8 and chapter 9. And in starting in chapter 9, verse 2, there's another light bulb moment. There's another moment where Peter, especially, but with James and John, where they behold Jesus in a more amazing way. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them alone up a high mountain privately. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiantly white, more so than any launderer in the world could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared before them, along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Do you notice Elijah and Moses? Let's go back to Peter's confession in chapter 8. Verse 28, when he said, what do people say? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And so other people are saying, Jesus, you're like these other prophets, you're like Elijah. And here Elijah shows up at the transfiguration. And not just Elijah, but the greatest prophet of all, Moses who wasn't just the prophet of God as in giving a message to the people, but he gave the law to the people. He, he led the people. He, he brought them into God's presence. He gave them God's you know, constitution, the law that they were lived by, and is considered the greatest of the prophets. They're here too. So Peter said to Jesus, yeah, and Peter's opening up his mouth again, 
These stories definitely are about Peter's realization. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, which maybe in this moment wasn't the best word to use. Because he maybe isn't realizing how much more than just a teacher Jesus is. He says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, for they were afraid. Fear comes back up here in this passage. They were afraid and he did not know what to say. And again, his action, his response, Jesus, this is great. I knew you were amazing. Moses and Elijah are here to prove it too. Wow, and you bright shining glory of God. This is like the best moment ever. I knew you were the Messiah. But really by his very action of wanting to build a space, a tent, a shelter for all three of them equally shows he missed Jesus being the Messiah. He, he wants to group Jesus in with Moses and Elijah. God has something to say about that. Then a cloud overshadowed them. Verse 7, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my one dear son. Listen to him. Not listen to Moses and listen to Elijah. No. They've had their time to speak, I guess you might say. They had their moments when they were God's representatives. And in some ways, that's carried on throughout the history of Israel. But now something is different. Now something is happening that is beyond their understanding, their ability to see and to comprehend that, that the power of God is coming through Jesus in this moment in, in a visible way with this bright, shining white light. But even still, they don't grasp it. So God himself speaks a voice from heaven. This is my son. This is not my prophet. This is not my appointed leader. This is my son. Not, not even, you know, the next king in a long line of kings. No, this is a whole new kind of king, an eternal king, because this is my son. Don't listen to Moses and Elijah. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore except Jesus. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to tell anyone. See how these stories connect? Not to tell anyone until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept this statement to themselves, discussing what this rising from the dead meant. I still don't get it. Now this blind man, two tries, he was good. Peter is much more stubborn than that, which I'm thankful for because so am I. And it takes time and time and time and time and time again. And each little step, I think, oh, now I got it figured out, only to realize, boy, I'm stupid. Wasn't even close. Take another step. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Another step. Man, what I thought was amazing was just a small thing that it's a progression. Faith is a progression. A response to Jesus being who he is and, and coming even to recognize that and, and, and to figure out what that means and what that implies is a progression. And I think that's why this story of this weird healing is even in this book, in the, in the Gospel of Mark, why the Holy Spirit put it in there for us is to show us sometimes it's a progression. 
And then look at Peter. It's a progression for the, the foremost of the apostles himself. He had trouble. He saw things through clouded vision. He even saw Jesus himself through a clouded vision and it took time to see Jesus revealed. And he's not even there yet. Story's long from done. We got a lot more to go. That's going to involve Peter even denying Jesus later. And that whole you know, struggle of, does he really hold on to, he knows the words to say, Jesus, you're the King. Jesus, you're the Messiah. Jesus, you're the Christ. And he's around Jesus in moments of glory and amazing. And he see Jesus and go, wow, Jesus, that's amazing. But he's got so far to go. And so do we. And looking back at these accounts, these stories, and these things that Mark and the Holy Spirit record for us, we should be amazed at who Jesus is. And I hope we are as a church, that we are amazed. But don't just sit on your amazement now because it's not even close to what it can be tomorrow. If you, if you let God open your eyes more. And that's what I hope for us as a church. And me right there too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm the preacher, but I'm far from the guy who's got the clear vision, got it figured out, everything's just right, and I understand everything perfectly. Let me impart that to you. No, it's together as a church, me and you, let's help each other clear our eyes. Clear our eyes of the things that inhibit us from seeing Jesus. Maybe it's things in our culture. The assumptions we make, like kind of Peter made about you know, his culture and what it meant to be a king and it wasn't even close to what Jesus was. And we have assumptions now of what it means to go to church, be a Christian. And in some ways we've got to let the, that cloudiness leave and see Jesus for who he really is. Not just for how we expect him to be because we've grown up in church and we've heard sermons. Ah, it's so much more than that. And I'm trying to still figure it out, and I hope that we yearn to figure that out together. Or that we have certain assumptions politically. And those cloud our understanding of Jesus, because we want to put them in a certain camp, or in a certain group, or, you know, in a certain ideology. And that's not how Jesus works. We have this confidence and assumption even about what it means to have an eternal life. That, you know, we think, well, just one day I'll get to heaven, everything will be fine, and I hope we can make it broader than that. That God is calling us to a life now of freedom that begins our eternal life where death will just be a short nap, if anything. Where this new life has already begun, and there's a fly on the camera. <laughs> there he goes. Oh, sorry about that. I might edit that out. I might leave it. It's kind of humorous. But that little fly obstructed your vision for a minute. Flies get away. We want to see Jesus. Let's pray to God and ask us, ask him to help us see Jesus. 
Dear Father, we come before you this morning. We ask you to heal our limited vision. Maybe we see you some because we've grown up in the church or we've had lives, you know, of attending worship and acting and serving and giving all good things. Like Peter's good statement that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Father, help us to see more and embrace more and to follow more and to not have our vision inhibited. Father, we need you to clean out what's blocking our eyes because we know, we know there's so much more to know. Help us to see it. Help us to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.